the H1B guy here. And today, the H1B guy interviews. Mary Grace shares her experience relocating to Canada with Mob Squad. But before we get started, I'd like to ask you, if you haven't already, to please subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and like this video so that I can continue to produce more content like this for you. I also wanted to mention the H1B Guy offers a variety of consulting services. I help businesses and individuals solve complex work authorization issues in the recruitment process while bringing awareness to employment-based immigration benefits. If I can help you, please reach out. I'd love to hear how. And you can book an appointment directly with me via the h1bguide.com. Today's interview is brought to you by Mob Squad. Are you a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related challenges? Don't leave your fate up to chance. Our partner, Mob Squad, has a solution. Join the squad. And by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. And by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. Well, today is the second edition of the H1B Guy interviews, individuals who have utilized Mob Squad to relocate to Canada. I'm very pleased to welcome in Mary Grace into the second edition. Uh, but if you haven't seen the previous interview with Sarab, I will link that video in the description below. Please go back and check that out as well. But Mary Grace, how are you doing today? Doing very well. I'm super excited to be here and share my story. Yeah, so glad to have you on. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your week to uh, to join me here. I wanted to just get right into it and and start out with really, you know, your story and where are you originally from and why did you initially come to the U.S.? Yeah, um, I'm originally from Paraguay in South America. I'm actually visiting right now, which is kind of wild. Um, I went to an American school. So my entire life, I knew I wanted to pursue higher education in the United States. However, life didn't work out exactly as one planned. And I started university in Paraguay for, I think, about two years. Then I got the opportunity to get an internship in Washington, D.C. at Conservation International. And I remember visiting schools in the U.S. and feeling that the impact I wanted to have in the world, I was not really getting prepared for that at the school I was in, in Paraguay. So I restarted the application process and I ended up in, at a school in Connecticut um, where I pursued a bachelor's degree in po political science um, with a minor in economics. And that's, that's what I did. So once I was in the U.S., I worked really hard to find opportunities that would prepare me to come back and have an impact here in my country. But I knew that, you know, school was not the end-all be-all of learning, right? I knew that there was some professional development that had to happen and taking advantage of uh, employment authorizations post-graduation was definitely something that 
I kept, you know, top of mind. Yeah, then after graduating from my bachelor's, I came back to Paraguay for a little bit, worked for a bit to reconnect here, and I reapplied to graduate school at the and I went to the University of Washington and I got my master's in public administration. Um, and then from there I I kind of pursued more career opportunities in the United States. And I ended up staying in Seattle for from like 2017 until 2020. And then in March of 2020, I received news that I was not selected for the H1B lottery. Mm -hmm. Um and that was rough because as we all are acutely aware of the date, March 2020, uh, that was truly the the moment where the world was in lockdown. We we acknowledged that we were in the middle of something that we didn't quite understand and that could get very complicated if we didn't respond. And as I'm getting this news, I got the news that I also had to relocate. So that's, and, you know, my story in a nutshell. And what's most interesting about that time frame is that was the first electronic registration, random electronic selection. And it was like this completely unknown, um, really entity and process to a lot of us in the industry. And it, it's interesting that, that your story kind of coincides with that three year timestamp, right? And really a timestamp, I think that for many of us, we'll, we'll never forget. So if you could go back and, and tell yourself probably two different times, right? Because you have an undergrad, U.S. undergrad and a U.S. master's. But if you could go back, let's say to when you decided to come back to the U.S. for your master's and give yourself um, really one piece of advice before you stepped on that plane to, to come back to the U.S., what would it be? Well, I think... super transparently, um, I would have encouraged myself to get therapy every single week or every other week at the beginning of graduate school because the anxiety that comes with knowing that your school, your job, your relationships, and everything is dependent on a visa situation really, really starts to grow silently in the background. And when, when I graduated and I knew that I had this like limited amount of time to find new opportunities, I tried to get support because I was feeling very overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wish I hadn't discovered therapy so late mm -hmm. because I still feel the now, you know, we'll get into it afterwards, but I, I thought I could do it all. You know, I, I thought that I thought that the playing field was even, I thought that, you know, I've got good grades. I, I know how to do school. Um, I'm social. I can make friends. Mm -hmm. like I thought that I could handle it, but Truly, the, the challenges of immigrating and the challenges of being in a highly competitive environment and knowing that you're at a disadvantage 
and noticing that in small things, like there were moments where I completely changed. My name is Maria Gracia in Spanish. I changed it to Mary Grace because I noticed there was a difference in how my applications were received in job applications. So those small things, you know, they, they have this way of, it's like a compounding interest, you know? Mm -hmm. And if I had known how helpful, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy was mm -hmm. earlier, I think my relationship with, you know, myself and application processes and interviewing and everything would have changed dramatically. I mean, and it's easy to say, what if, right? Like I feel, mm -hmm. I don't really know, but I, I think, right. And I would have told myself that your situation is particular. Um, I made friends with a lot of Americans. I, everyone else had their own challenges. You know, everybody has their own challenge, but mm -hmm. immigrating and being in grad school in a competitive environment and also trying to find jobs and also knowing that not only can you, you lose the opportunity of a professional, you know, opportunity, but you can lose all your friendships and everything at the same time. I think having prepared myself for that in a more healthy manner from earlier on, would have really, really changed my yeah. My the, the realization that your time here, even in master's program or twelve months of OPT, is temporary. Exactly. And, and in order for you to stay longer, you know, there's a lot of, as you said, different steps along the way. And, and I think, kind of going back to that 2022 time or 2020 time stamp that you talked about, you know, mental health now is much more at the forefront. Um, yeah. and, and I think it's something that's much more discussed versus probably when you were going through that even three years ago. Um, and yeah, angst and anxiety, not only of, of international students here in the U S but even folks that are already here on temporary mm -hmm. work thesis, right? Like it's a very common theme. Um, I, I think that, that surrounds, you know, what I call the high skilled immigrant population. And it's interesting to hear you say that, that like, Hey, taking care of myself, um, getting the right help that I need to help guide me through this process is, is something that, that you would tell your, your younger self, right? Yeah. Um, so let's talk about what happened after you graduated. What was your job search like? How did you go about talking to employers about, Hey, my time is temporary. I'm going to need H1B sponsorship. Yeah. So that one was, so it's a multi, it was a multi-step process for sure. So I, was very, very fortunate when I went to the University of Washington. I, I got a teaching assistantship right off the bat. Um, and then beyond my teaching assistantship, I got job opportunities that allowed me to pay very little tuition. However, I still, it was about like the second year and I was like, okay, I no longer have the teaching assistantship now. Um, and I need to figure out how to pay for graduate school. So I decided to use my CPT and get a job in, in my field mm -hmm. uh, and start applying for that. So I, I did my internship at the city of Seattle in the utility space. And I wanted to use that background I gained to then kind of apply it to um, the waste management space. Um, I did environmental policy for context. Mm -hmm. That was my, my, the focus of my MPA. So I, I got a job 
while I was still in grad school and I combined it with a, a one credit course essentially so that it could be a part of my, be a part of my degree. So I did my CPT at waste management in Seattle. But then, you know, as I was about to graduate, I was like, okay, I need to have the conversation with my employer about, is there an opportunity here for me to get mm -hmm. an H-1B sponsorship? And the, the answer was no. The answer was that waste management at the time was not doing that. And if you need to delete the name, that's perfectly fine. But my employer at the time mentioned that they, they do not do H-1B H1B sponsorships. So, okay, I must readjust, right? Mm -hmm. I, I was dating someone who is not my husband and we were mm -hmm. in a serious relationship. And I knew that I really did not want to cut my time in Seattle short. Mm -hmm. So I switched gears. And in that process, I acknowledged that maybe going in the environmental field mm -hmm. that I cared about deeply and environmental policy and working in the city, working for the city in the public, public space or working in the nonprofit space, neither of those were really going to allow me to stay in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Luckily for me, I had, um, I had learned very transferable skills at my master's of program evaluation, qualitative analysis. Um, I learned about finance. I learned about program management, organizational management. All of these things allowed me to then make the decision of I need to move into the tech space. Mm -hmm. And I was very fortunate to have found an opportunity that they needed a somebody with qualitative research skills and spoke Spanish. And that's what led me to the next opportunity where I began as a contractor mm -hmm. and and I became began as a temporary employee. So still no confidence that. I was going to get that sponsorship, but then working hard and, and, and talking openly with my managers, to be super mm -hmm. honest, I was very honest. Like, I really like my work here. I would really like to stay and our time is running short. Mm -hmm. So I asked them to tell me, and, and also I, I have to add, there was one of the founders at the new employment I had found was an immigrant himself. And he mm -hmm. told me, Mary Grace, you need to start the process for the H-1B now. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I need to, I thought it was too early to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, have the conversation with your managers now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I did not realize that, you know, mm -hmm. my time was that limited. So I did, and I had the conversations and, and they took their time. Like it was, you know, not an easy process, particularly because I wasn't an engineer, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I think that there was a very clear policy for software engineers on how to get, you know, the H-1B process started mm -hmm. or the even the green card in some cases. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I was a part of a different department and I was not an engineer. Mm -hmm. So my pathway was not as clear because my job didn't necessarily ha like say at the beginning, 
that I needed to have like a master's degree for it. Right. And we yeah. all know that the, that's, the way the know, requirements were defined. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I, I transitioned into a new role within mm-hmm. my company. And mm-hmm. then we started the process where my master's degree did come in more handy. And mm-hmm. then we did, we were able to prove that, you know, I did need to be a highly qualified, trained, you know, mm-hmm. individual. The master's plus the that. years of experience, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that's what so I would call like functional tech that, that you were, you kind of transitioned into. Exactly. Um, and you're right with the software engineers, like it's more black and white, right? The carp compartmentalized approach to to the h1b sponsorship and i will tell you that you know the the president of the the company gave you great advice like it's never too early to start that conversation it's something that um i present a couple times a year to to master's students who are going into opt and it's one of the things i talk about all the time is you have to be upfront in the initial interviews of what your status is and what you're looking for in the future in terms of sponsorship, specifically H1B visa sponsorship. Um, and I think that's just a great approach and, and great advice here that that you're reiterating that was shared to you by, you know, an executive. Um, so let's talk about that March of 2020, right? Failed lottery, realized that you were rejected. It was a really weird time where a second lottery was held several months later. But when you found out you weren't selected the first time, when did you realize that you needed to find an, an alternate solution for your, your current situation? So I have to be honest, immediately. I, like I mentioned, I was not, I did not receive the news well. Mm-hmm. You know, I that's one of the things that I talk about. I wish that I had gained more skills in managing my anxiety and you know this disappointment really right Mm -hmm. um and i immediately was i don't think i can do this anymore Mm -hmm. i think i think that was the moment where i i had just gotten knee surgery as well so there was a pandemic i was post-op for my surgery um my partner was in new zealand stuck couldn't come back. Lots of different things happening. So it was very, very dark. I was like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, this is a lot. Um, so painting the picture of why I say I really needed to have gained more skills and therapy and things like that. But anyways, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I need to find a path that allows me to, you know, build something slowly rather than, you know, throw everything at something that at the end of the day is luck based. Mm-hmm. You do yeah. everything, you know, you get yourself there, but then you jump and you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. We so talk about le- leaving your fate up to chance, right. As part exactly. of the mob squad co- copy read that, that I do here all the time. And, and that's exactly it. So realized you had an issue knew very quickly on you had an issue. So how did you find out about Mob Squad? So I, I brought, so the minute that this happened, I I told myself, okay, strategize, right? And that's the one thing I'm good at. Like, yes, it was dark and gloom, but I was like, okay, so what's going to happen now, Mary Grace? What are your options? So before I had this, you know, conversation with my managers about, hey, I didn't get the, v- like, we didn't get the lottery. 
now what? Without leaving it fully to them, I told them, I have three options. One is I go back to Paraguay and I stop working for you all. And I was building a program with the company I was at. So they were, I knew that they would, you know, want me to stay. So, Mm -hmm. but that was one of the options. The second option was, um, I have European nationality. My, my grandparents were immigrants from a European country into Paraguay. So I had the option of maybe transferring to one of our company's Europe offices. Mm -hmm. Um, Brexit had just happened. So we had moved our company to from like London to another place in Europe too. So that was a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third possibility is my partner and I were Canadian and we were considering Canada already. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned, or we find a way of, you know, me being um, close to close to you all near shore, mm-hmm. um, but in Canada. And that opportunity, that that little thing of like mentioning, I'm open to Canada, mm-hmm. sparked an idea at, with the HR person in our meeting, who said, "I actually just heard of a company called Mob Squad that could help us out." Mm-hmm. That was it, and that's that's how the process began. And I and I immediately knew that, okay, this this process is what I can handle. Yeah. I can't handle another round of H1B in the US. Yeah, a viable option with a you know a, a time frame that's pretty clearly defined. So, your HR finds Mob Squad. Did you reach out to them first or did your HR reach out to Mob Squad? Can you kind of walk me through what your experience was like? Like how um did the initial introductions happen? How did your employer get involved and and what was the timeline like? Yeah, so the timeline was very particular because we have to remember pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I needed to leave, right? Mm-hmm. I needed to leave. My, my lease was up too. So it was like, I had, to, I left by May of 2020, I was in Canada. And I, so I, speaking with um, the HR folks and with immigration lawyers as well, we realized we, we shouldn't start the process of mob squad and of immigrating because of the pandemic. I want to be very clear about this. Mm -hmm. My circumstance, you know, you have to have the pandemic layer all over it because of the pandemic. I, it was not advisable for me to start an immigration process from outside of Canada. Mm -hmm. It it was not recommended. Mm -hmm. So because I was already a domestic partner of my current husband, we decided, okay, we are eligible to go into Canada right now. Let's go. You'll go there and you'll work remotely to the, from the, to the U.S. You'll continue mm-hmm. your work from the U.S., but let's go be in Canada while we sort this out and apply to immigrate to stay mm-hmm. fully from Canada. So we mm-hmm. did that. And so what, the way that it worked is we, we, we talked to immigration lawyers first. We worked the, the initial you know, challenges out. Once we were in there, I mentioned that to my employer. We're here. We're like doing this. Let's, let's, we're ready. We have all our, all of our documentation ready. And so my situation was different than most people that apply to mob squad. So mm-hmm. usually mob squad will handle a lot of these things and they'll go through a lot of their channels to ensure that your timelines are shorter, mm-hmm. that 
you know, you, you arrive to Canada already ready to work, right? Mm-hmm. My circumstance was different because of the pandemic. Yeah, pandemic and dictated the unique circumstance exactly. for sure. So then I, from there, long story short, once I was in, once I had my open work permit through spousal application, Mm -hmm. then we, then HR connected with Mob Squad. Well, they were already connecting in the background. They knew this was coming. And then once that was ready, it was, I don't know, a matter of a month. And then I was in. Um, But my process was unique for sure. I immigration lawyers really helped me because of the pandemic. And then my circumstance, you know, being married to a Canadian also, you know, was unique. Mm-hmm. And I, But I think you really drove the point correctly, though, which is to say Mob Squad is, you know, what I'd call kind of a Cadillac <laughs> here in the U.S. of like all-inclusive services. But they can work... <laughs> with you and your employer and help educate and guide not only you but your employer at at their own time frame right if Mm -hmm. you know if the employer needs to move very quickly it's about eight weeks um you know your situation sounded like once you got to canada it was roughly you know about a month or more right um so i think that that's good advice too is that if there's options for you you know to get to Canada while you're going through this transition, that may be beneficial as well. Um, or they can handle it sort of all in from, from beginning to end. So I would, sorry, one quick thing. Yeah. I would fully recommend going the mob squad way yeah. because even getting my documentation later on, like different things, like the permanent residence card, mm-hmm. I got my permanent residence card in a year, mm-hmm. even though they say it's four months. My mob squad fellow people, mm-hmm. <laughs> they got it within three to four months. So, right. yeah, their attorneys, totally their process. their process, right? Yeah. yeah, it's 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 a it's very important to to emphasize that, and that's going to be the majority of folks that are watching this. Exactly. You know, either now or or into the foreseeable future. Uh, so, yeah. what's life like in Canada? I. I, I think I'm finally getting to experience it now. Um, you know, I moved in during the pandemic. My my work was remote. We were very like isolated, right, for a while. Um, so, but it was still really interesting. I think in the sense, I remember getting my permanent residence card, and it said, "Thank you for choosing Canada," and that mm-hmm. stuck with me. You know, I, I keep bringing back like the mental health thing of mm-hmm. the stat like being an immigrant and your status and feeling that a lot of things you kind of have to tweak to fit you right like mm-hmm. everything you kind of have to readjust to make it work for you mm-hmm. in Canada it never felt that way mm-hmm. I remember the the one weird thing I remember I was trying to get a flu shot and I still didn't have my Ontario health insurance plan card mm-hmm. and they were so confused because I actually had to pay for it. And they, they were like, so not used to someone having to pay for, for healthcare. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and they were like, wait, so what, what happens like this? And it, but then they figured it out and it was fine. I paid like 20 bucks for my <laughs> flu shot, but just like, imagine that, right? Like yeah, my biggest immigrant moment was because I was asking to pay for something that I'm used to paying, <laughs> right. right? Like I am used to paying 20 bucks versus the universal healthcare. Right. Yeah, so that that illustrates two beautiful things, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the feeling of welcomeness, right? That mm-hmm. the, there's 
there there are ESL opportunities. Had I had I had a, a partner that was coming as well that doesn't mm-hmm. speak English well, mm-hmm. there were ESL for for newcomers. Or mm-hmm. there's you know there's the letter with my PR saying thank you for choosing us. Like what a yeah. beautiful way of describing the immigrant life in Canada. Thank you right. for choosing us. Mm-hmm. That's and, how I and illustrated like that. As difficult as we make it here, right? As cumbersome and as complex and um confusing. Expensive. It, yes. Um a lot of time and a lot of a lot of money. Um one of the foundations of this platform, uh Mary Grace, is is really to help folks that are either here in the US or those that are considering coming to the US on an H1B visa understand what's in front of them or what they're going to experience. And um, that's one of the reasons why, you know, Mob Squad has become a great partner is because there is another option out there um, for folks that, yes, it's not the U.S., but it it is. It's become a 1A and a 1B, right, when we look at at the the immigrant, high school immigrant flow that's, that's happened. Um, I wanted you to close this out by maybe any additional advice that you could offer for individuals that may be considering Canada um, as their next destination, relocating to Canada. Yeah, I would say delete the idea that a place is not worthy because it's cold. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Latin Americans view Canada as this frozen tundra. They don't even <laughs> consider it. And I found that Canada is a place with four seasons, mm. with really kind people, mm-hmm. and a country ready to you know, be built and worked on and, and contributed to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, actually look at it with fresh perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, Don't see it as your second option. Consider Mm -hmm. it as your first and look at it in the same way that that you try to make the U.S. work. Mm Because, you know, the U.S. has a lot of beautiful things and we really try to hype ourselves up to go there because we know that it won't be easy. Mm -hmm. Do that for Canada as well because Mm -hmm. the welcoming feeling is not minor. Mm -hmm. Right now you're at home and you are thinking, oh, I'm a hard worker. They'll see my value. Etc. And you really minimize that the roughness of mm-hmm. needing to adjust everything to make it work, or the comp- competition that exists. Mm-hmm. Canada alleviates that a lot, mm-hmm. especially you know with Mob Squad and with the the, the humans that are part of Mob Squad. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of folks there that understand you know, that experience, you know, to the core. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say really consider Canada as a first option Mm -hmm. because the pathways are clearer. And then if you're still like not convinced, then apply to the U.S. Mm -hmm. Like I would really encourage people to flip that coin. Mm -hmm. And and this goes back to one of the reasons, um, you know, I continue to talk about other options. It's, uh, I I do want the U.S. to continue to be the number one destination. I do. And, 
you know, it's funny what you said about Latin Americans concept of Canada. You know, I'm just a, a, a kid from the South and I ha I always have had the same um, kind of premonitions. And I've always asked everyone who's come on, like, is it really cold in Canada as everyone says it is? Right. But, you know, I think you make two great points to close this out. Like, thanks for choosing us. Right. That's that that resonates um, and delete the idea. I'm going to steal that from you and use that going forward because you, you, you're right. It's mindset. I talk about it a lot with my recruiting teams. Like it's mindset. Um, you know, your mindset is what allows you to manifest that next step. So delete the idea, delete the hesitation. That's a, that's a great point. And um, a lot of value in that. And your story is, um, is unique to you. Uh, it's very interesting. U.S. undergrad. U.S. Masters, yet we told you you're not welcome here. And your story, while you're from Paraguay, is not unique to individuals from other parts of Latin America, um, Central and South Asia, right? When we look at all of the folks that, you know, the demand to come here to be U.S. educated that has that, like, international student dream, um, that's what makes your story common, right? But you individually, it's unique and the timeframes around it make it unique. But I'm glad to hear that, you know, you're thriving and surviving and you're in a totally different place than, than where you were three years ago. And, um, you know, following the path that's been laid out in front of you, it's just a great story. And I want to thank you so much, you know, for, for coming on here and, and sharing, um, you know, a, a really a transparent look into to your journey to to where you are right now in your career. Mary Grace, I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for doing this for people. I think it's it's really important that we talk more about. It is. It's conversation, process. right? Like, yeah. um, you know, I always tell people I'm not an attorney. This is an opinion based on my employment based immigration experience. Um, and it's it's good to have the conversation and, and be as transparent with it as possible. So um, with that being said, I'm going to close this out and remind everyone that uh, today's interview was brought to you by Mob Squad. Um, are you a technology professional facing U.S. work visa related challenges? Don't leave your fate up to chance. Our partner, Mob Squad, has a solution. Mob Squad helps technology professionals facing U.S. work visa related uncertainty remain working with their current U.S. company nearshore from Canada as well as technology professionals from around the world who are seeking an opportunity to find a rewarding career in North America. Through their partnership with the Canadian government, they can obtain a Canadian work permit for you and your spouse in as little as eight weeks. So whether you're looking to stay working with your current U.S. company or you want to find a new opportunity in Canada, please find out how the team at Mob Squad can help you via the link in the video description below. Please feel free to reference the interview here with Mary Grace today. Join the squad. And also by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. If you want to reduce your costs and overhead associated with perm labor certification recruitment advertising, let perm-ads.com help you. And also by Sandesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high school immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. If you're facing an H-1B denial or OPT expiration, don't get caught off guard. Make sure you have a plan B and Sedesis and Path to Canada are your answers. They'll gladly help you navigate the process. If you'd like to find out more, please be sure to use the link in the video description below.
Just wanted to ask you again to please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, and click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we post new content here to this channel. If you've made it this far, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to watch my video. I really appreciate your support. And one last big thank you to Mary Grace. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you have a great rest of your trip down in your home homeland and a safe travels back to Canada. And uh, looking forward to following your career and your journey as you move forward. I'm Robert. I'm the H-1B guy, your global source for all things H-1B.